visual problems so the person like the person teaching the class was wearing a normal outfit except they had a spider-man mask on but then they couldn't read their own notes for what we were supposed to be doing in class i don't mean to make them sound unprofessional it was still a very good class but they definitely had that additional issue okay i mean you can make them sound unprofessionally unless they listen to this podcast in which case you're in a world of shit the people at my gym are very professional and they provide a high quality of training I guess since we're talking about unprofessional Spider-Man gym instructors, we're probably listening to the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Kyle. Welcome, uh, friends, listeners, and people who accidentally downloaded what they probably thought was a Big Bang Theory fan cast. This is a spooky show where we talk about the Big Bang Theory. We try to figure out uh, how it relates to actual real-life nerddom, how relatable it is, what it gets wrong. Uh, more likely than not, we, we end up getting bored with it pretty quick and just ramble about whatever other shit we want to. Kyle, um, I am ready to dive into a short episode summary to kick us off, unless you have any pressing issues you would like to address beforehand. Nah, I hit it, my man. Okay, here we go. The gang of nerds decides to develop an app. Sh- Sheldon sucks to work with, they fire him, and he's sad and jealous for the whole episode. Okay, see you in two weeks. <laughs> Right, this has been a fun one. Great Halloween special. I, uh... I, the ghost in this episode is the rest of the time that we're giving back to you. Yeah, this is... I mean, we, we can we can have fun with this. We can do what we want with this, but I'm going to be up front. Like, that's the end of my summary because uh, there, there are episodes I dislike, okay? Like, the last one we did, uh, I believe we spent a lot of time picking apart how all of the jokes kind of negated their own premises. Yeah, but... You know, that happens. Like, sometimes you get some bad writing or whatever. I'm going to say outright, I hated this episode. And I have some reasons why I think that is. But I'm not I'm not eager to talk about what happened in this episode. If anything, I thought it might be more interesting to try to answer questions that this, raises, that this episode raised about the larger Big, ba- Big Bang world. But before we get too distracted with that, I guess we should talk about the episode a little bit. Anyway, this is Season 4, Episode 13, which is officially titled The Bus Pants Utilization, in reference to Sheldon being afraid that he'll have to ride the bus, and he doesn't want the bus seats to touch his actual pants, so he wears a second pair of pants over his normal pants that are his bus pants. But yeah, I mean, that's really... It's, it's, it's a surprisingly focused episode there there, there's no b plot yeah for for having basically no jokes it is really they really dialed down on this premise yeah there there wasn't really many jokes to it like so i think to to just like get right to why i think i disliked this episode so much and i feel bad because like i know that our listener base includes at least a handful of legitimate Big Bang Theory fans. You know. Yeah, but you know what? I'll I'll put that this this is never that there's no way this is anyone's favorite episode of the like even some of the bad episodes sometimes that we watch. I'm like, well, maybe that episode sucked, but it still resonated with someone somewhere. This episode, if if you are listening to this and you're like, no, I really thought the way they dealt with the you know Sheldon's emerging. Uh, ambition to become an app mogul uh really resonated with me in particularly then uh 
come find us so that we can put you in a in a glass cage and sh- make more money showing you to the world than we ever would make running this podcast. I I I was I was I ignored my instinct to interrupt you and say, well, you know, every episode is someone's favorite episode. But Kyle, I'm with you 100% this time. If this is your favorite, your brain needs to be studied if it's safe enough to be exposed to other people. This is, it's just the pits. As, as you already said, Kyle, there aren't really any jokes. The whole thing is that Leonard is like, hey, let's make an app that will read handwriting to make it easier to like save and utilize different formulas, you know, like mathematical formulas. And all the nerds are on board, which is cool, but Sheldon... You're not going to believe this. When he gets involved, oh, he becomes unbearable and difficult to work with and and overbearing. Oh, boy. And that's it. And I think the reason I I hate this so much, um, which I kind of started to realize near near the end of the episode, is that there is no real sympathetic, relatable character. Sheldon is an overbearing asshole. When the group kicks him out, they are right to do so. And he makes no legitimate effort to earn his way back in. Instead, he decides that he will sarcastically pretend to apologize, and it doesn't work. And there's no resolution to the end of the episode. Instead, he ends up, the, the, uh, the, the very last scene is him having given up on the Enterprise to go develop a, a shoe recognition app with Penny. And so there's, there's no buildup, there's no suspense, there's no character that you want to win and then it just ends it just peters out and nothing fun happens along the way yeah you know what uh when you well first off i'm going to say this episode i i have given up on trying to keep track of what year and what else would have been going on when this episode aired Mm -hmm. but this feels like nothing so much as like if I had to make a guess, it would be like, oh, the social network had just come out, and one of the writers of The Big Bang Theory was like, huh, I bet Sheldon wouldn't work very well if he were Mark Zuckerberg. And that was, like, somehow that made it all the way through the room and into the and into an episode of television. Yeah, I don't remember the year that movie came out, but if I were just to guess, I would say that this is a solidly 2005 film. I mean, so episode, and that's because Raj uh, is the only other person in the phone. I mean, oh, I am having a, a, a stroke. Um, the only other person in the episode who references using any sort of app, and he is super excited about a fart app that he bought for 99 cents. And if I remember when most apps were first becoming popular, they were incredibly specific. They all cost a dollar and everyone wanted to make one. And there was this bubble for a while where any rando would think, I have an idea for an app, and they would make it. And then it would steal all the data off of your phone, and I, you'd get nothing start, but pornography ads for the rest of your life. Oh, okay. I started to say, what do you mean there was – I started to say, this is this is still the bubble that we live in. But I do – I get what you're specifically saying is in contrast to at least now the quality of the apps is slightly – yeah, higher. They, they've increased in price and functionality and breadth of use. You know, like, I think in the olden times, someone would have made a push-up tracker. And then the next year, someone was like, what if I made an app that tracked both push-ups and sit-ups? And now we have 23 of those ideas in one package 
that only costs twelve ninety nine a month and comes with ads for grocery stores that are not in your local market. And syncs to your watch. Also true, yes. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I have questions, like I said, that don't relate directly to the content of this episode, but were raised by the content of this episode. I do have one observation. Bring it on. Which is... What's interesting about how bad how bad Sheldon how lazily Sheldon is written in this episode mm-hmm. is that he's constantly shooting down everyone else's ideas for how the app should work, but he never actually gets a chance to offer his own ideas for like someone will say like this is how I think the app should be designed, and he'll say, "Well, that's dumb." We shouldn't do it that way. But usually in most episodes, when Sheldon shoots down an idea, he at least follows it up yeah. with an explanation of what the correct idea – and, and you know, these are far from generally funny, but at least they're an attempt at humor, right? Someone will say – will make a suggestion. He'll shoot it down. He'll make his own suggestion. We'll see a little bit about how his wacky brain works. And, you know, that's supposed to be funny. But here we don't even get that. We get, like, hints. We get, like, a scene where he is apparently working on designing his own version of the phone app. But he never actually talks about, like, no. about how it's supposed to work, why it's so different, and why he's so adamant that it's better than the way everyone else is doing it. Yeah, Kyle, I think you're really onto something there. Because if this were a better written, more fleshed out episode, Sheldon would have put forth likely a series of ideas and each idea would uh, over the course of the episode increasingly show how misguided and unrelatable he is you know like they would have because you know they're, they're writing this this app to recognize handwriting for for mathematical formulas and you know he would put forth something ridiculous that you know like it would start with oh you know it works and we'll also release it with a guide where everyone can take a simple class to learn how i handwrite my own formulas in that way we only have one easy way of writing them in that everyone that is universal and it guarantees that the patterns will be recognized and everyone would be like sheldon that's ridiculous there's no way that people are going to take a class to learn your style of handwriting and you'd be like well that's the kind of thinking that's going to prevent this thing from really taking off then, you know, and, the, and then they would have another more ridiculous, and, and you know, it, it, like that. But you're right; he never gets any of that in. And I think oh, another way that this episode could have developed is what if one of his ideas that Leonard is suppressing for the sake of having a, I don't know, decent workplace. To be honest, um, what if one of his ideas is actually good, and then they're put in this awkward situation where they have to find where along with this line to tread between kicking Sheldon out because he's unbearable and learning to work with such an incredibly frustrating person because he actually has good ideas. Uh, not explored, though. No, it doesn't happen. So The closest we get is that, and again, I don't even know when they thought, but he wants the app to be named Sheldon. That's like their Grand Slam idea for what Sheldon's contribution to the conversation should be. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really... So... Like I said, I don't have anything else to comment on the episode itself. I think you've already pointed out one of the the biggest flaws as to how, if this were a good show, it could be rewritten. So maybe we can pick up on more of those. But until we get to that point, I'm going to ask universe questions. All right. I'm excited. Here we go. New segment. So first universe question. 
the when when Leonard proposes to the group that they make the app, everyone is pretty excited about it. And also, I don't think I stated this doesn't include Penny. Sheldon, there's a little bit where he's like, "Oh no, Penny's gonna steal our idea and sell it to the highest bidder." And it's immediately apparent she doesn't understand, doesn't give a shit, and she's almost out of the episode. But um, when Leonard initially proposes it to just the other nerds, everyone is like, it would be nice to have a little extra money if this thing takes off. And Wallowitz specifically says, yeah, I could finally move out of my mother's house. Universe question. How is it that Wallowitz can't move out of his mother's house if he's working as an engineer at Caltech? I have assumed up to this point that he chooses to live with his mother for some sort of kind of unexplained background, I need my mom, my mom needs me kind of issues. Not because he was financially incapable of doing so. And so is he a perpetual intern, like unpaid intern? Does he have serious debts that he has to pay off that prevent him from being able to pay his own rent? As well, a Caltech engineer. He, I mean, he does. Uh, he is quite earlier in earlier episodes. We see him spend a lot of money. Well, we don't see how much money he spends, but we see him with prostitutes. And uh, you know, I don't know what the average hourly rate in California for a prostitute is. Nick, do you know? Uh, I do not. But uh, I figured you might know. But. I imagine it's expensive. Maybe he's in debt because of all the hookers. That's all I'm trying to say. But I, also... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I could hassle my friend who formerly operated as a professional girlfriend to figure out how much she got paid for that arrangement. But I don't believe that is that was traditional pay-to-play, one-pop-at-a-time prostitution. <laughs> what I... I don't. I, I want to give your. Uh, quite, I hope I'm not shooting down the joy of your asking this question. But I kind of thought that his immediate follow up sort of fleshed that out because they're like, "Well, where would you move?" And he's like, "Oh, I've always thought of putting in an installation above the garage," which to me is him saying that basically acknowledge. I'm thinking you're right. Like he lives with his mom because he chooses to live with his mother for whatever his reasons and when he was expressing his desire to get out he would like more space to live with his mother than he currently has but that's a different thing from not wanting to live with his mother specifically i do not think that shoots down my concern at all because how is it that again as an apparently successful working engineer in a in a very competitive institution presumably making some sort of competitive salary, even if it is, you know, not as high as if he were in the private sector, that he is not, he's nonetheless unable to build an extension onto his mom's home. Like, well, I, I mean, I imagine that's, that's pricier, at least in the immediate capital required than like renting an apartment, maybe not like year over year, but, you know, building out an entire se- separate room you know in paying the labor and everything it can't be cheap and probably he has some crazy you know he he has to get it soundproofed he has to you know make sure that the doors have special locks on them that can be only opened from the inside if you have both keys and uh and so on and so forth so So he's mired not by the immediate cost of being able to construct his his little den but by all of the bureaucratic nonsense 
and all the the knickknacks and doodads that come with it getting the appropriate permits and such to carry an alternative dwelling unit in in uh, a, a, a neighborhood in, in West LA, all that right. kind of stuff. The bribes to make the particular contractors forget about some of the weirder stuff that they see while they're building it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what is? What do you think it's like to be? No one. I mean, maybe maybe some real industrious kinksters are building their own sex dungeons. But like, what do you think it's like for the contractor, the construction worker, to be like another sex dungeon? And, oh, these idiots don't know what they're doing. They've got, like, these little fuck cubbies that they want spaced out in such a way that you're absolutely going to hear everyone else's noise, if not smell their, their, their doings. And I'm trying to tell them, like, you really want these spaced out at least 12 feet apart from each other. Or you're not going to have any privacy. And they say, we don't want privacy. And everyone says they don't want privacy until they don't get privacy. You know what I'm talking about, Earl? Like, that conversation has to be happening all over the world all the time. Yes, I imagine uh, I imagine so. I'll make so another I, reference to that time you and I went to a sex dungeon and walked past the fuck cubbies on the way to the... the, uh, the, the why can't I think of it? The, the hot food bar in uh, the kitchen. Yeah, the kitchen being at the end of the hallway is such an inexplicable choice. Yeah, I bet the contractors had a few things to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I do like the idea of... Uh, of um, of contractors just being like, look, I don't care, but I'm just from a from a craftsmanship perspective. I need you to take a little feedback here about what you want. Uh, I appreciate that. Also, and not to change the subject too much, but please do. It's possible Wallowitz does not have a lot of disposable income because we see all the time. The one time we do see his room, he has bought a bunch of useless shit, like. He might not have so much like a cash flow or he might not have so much like an income problem as a cash flow problem because, you know, setting aside the jokes about hookers, if my guess is 90 percent of his income goes to like collectible miniatures and shit like that. So, you know, he just maybe he has to really, really increase his income to have enough free capital to live the life he wants. Which when we're talking about diversity of nerds, as we were in either the last episode or the the episode prior to that, uh, I think that's a very specific type of nerd that maybe Wallowitz is, now that you've brought up that issue, which is the nerd who, in spite of having enough sense to excel in a particular field, is so obsessed with his little knickknacks and nerdy needs and everything that he far outspends... Uh, on on goofy shit than he can earn. Because that's yeah. always a nerd that's like, you know, someone who's like, oh, check it out, I got a life-size Boba Fett figurine. And I'm like, you live with your mom, as Wallowitz does. Like, how did you do that? Why did you do that? Like, where? what, are you, what is your life? What, how did this thought process go? Yeah, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give both versions of this that I'm familiar with. Okay. Um, so I lived in... You know, my tiny little town in Georgia that I come from, I knew a lot of broke ass people. It's not their fault. It's, you know, it's an economically depressed town. Sure. I'm not, I'm not judging anyone for being poor, and I want to be very clear about that. Yeah, it would have been clear if you hadn't brought it to attention in the first place, but we, you know, you bring it up, we assume the worst, and then you dispel that with the rest of your, with your explanation. Good. I am, however, judging like my friends who would go to the only shop in town that sold like magic the gathering cards <sighs> and drop the entirety of like their paycheck on on fucking 
it wasn't even Magic the Gathering, actually. It was this other weird alternative card game that I don't know what it was called that was worse. And it was worse specifically because instead of having, like, fantasy art monsters, it had, like, half-naked anime girls. So it was, like... How was it worse? <laughs> just, just... Were the just, rules more difficult? <laughs> just something about the art style. It's like, this is this is really the road you want to go down. And they would. They would be like, they would show off their cards and they'd be like, do you know how much money I had to spend on booster packs before I got this particular set of rare cards? I was like, no, but I know you struggle to pay your rent. What the fuck? I, the, my, my similar thing, and though they're not quite as, as frustrating or sad, is whenever a new set of magic cards would come out, People would come in, and a lot of times they would buy these starter packs that would have a, a pre-fixed organization arrangement, I mean, of, of cards in them. You knew exactly what you were getting. And, you know, that wasn't going to be your whole deck, but that's like your foundation. But the real the, the real uh, cowboys would come in, and they would buy a box of booster packs for like $300 or whatever it was uh, on the chance that if I open 45 of these packs... I have to get something good. And when they sit with you in the comic book shop, opening up each and every one of those packs and then don't get anything good, and you just have to sit there like you 100% did not see that coming and that it's not in your interest for that to happen to them seven more times before the end of the day, is an awkward position to be in. Yes, I can imagine so. So the other one, which is not as as not as bad but equally weird, is, um, you know, I go on I go on all these nerd blogs like, Kotaku io9 and they often showcase the new the new action figures toys that are coming out yeah like ridiculously high-end stuff that nobody needs and i'll be the first to admit it i mean it's cool it looks cool but it's like you said it's just like it's like i understand based on how cool it looks like why this you know perfect two-scale model of iron man from endgame i understand why it costs three hundred dollars that does look like what a $300 toy should cost like, but I don't understand who could buy one. And I'm always amazed because like the first or second comment is like, well, looks like it's time to crack open the wallet again. And I'm like, what do you do? What do you do for a living? What did I hope to God that you are like secretly like an analyst for the CIA and you get paid like, millions of dollars to consult on like assassinations in the middle east or something i hope you are just rolling in dirty money that you are just trying to figure out how to spend so you don't have to think about how you got it because that is the only conceivable justification i could think of for how excited you are to have this ridiculously priced novelty uh, toy that is so expensive you should be scared to like touch it kyle you have just reminded me of a subculture that I recently learned of, maybe you already know about it, uh, that will provide for um, a nice transition into my nerdy thing of the week later. Have you ever heard of the NEAT subtype of nerd, N-E-E-T? The, I can't remember what it, I, I'm familiar, it comes up in in anime a lot. It's not, like a shut-in, right? education, employed, or training. Right, they're, so they're basically, they're shut-ins who... who who contribute nothing to society and stereotypically they play video games all day. And then sometimes they get hit by cars and get transported into fantasy worlds where they suddenly take on resounding importance because of their knowledge of the genre tropes from all the video games they play. And there's a chance that the documentary I recently watched mischaracterized what it's like to be one of those types. But the neat they encountered 
seemed very proud of his lifestyle. Like he was excited about his little den in his parents' basement and seemed proud of the fact that he had other of these neat types he could relate to. And I think maybe has to be what a lot of these buyers are is is the the man nerd and I, I, don't, I guess I shouldn't be gender specific, but the adult nerd who, yeah, lives with their parents. Their parents have disposable income and they take advantage of that. Yeah, but I'll get to more on that later. I mean, yes, thank, I started to say, uh, well, we can talk about when we get, I don't want to sit in judgment of these people because I don't know what their lives are like. But here it comes. No, it just, it's. It, like I'm saying there is a way I guess you could argue that, you know, since we all know that capitalism is an exploitative bullshit. Well, no, that's actually the toys are the part that fucked that up. I started to say <laughs> I could I could see like as like the modern equivalent of like the hermit who rejects society. If you want to live in your parents basement and be like, no, capitalism is bullshit and exploitative. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to participate in all of your bullshit society, man. I'm a real individual. I don't need that shit. Good for you. I could see how that's like a legitimate moment right up until the part that you are spending all of your money on, on, you know, essentially value signifiers of, childhood ephemera that cost way too much it's like yeah. that's the part it's like you're simultaneously you're simultaneously contributing nothing and selling out at the same time yeah oh okay let's move on from this particular topic because it's making me sad even though i'm going to bring it up again later on but i do have a couple other universe questions i could ask or... please do i don't have any okay i'm just gonna I ask... have nothing i will ask one of my two and then maybe we should trans uh transition into our nerdy thing of the week completely backpedaling on our criticism of these types that are too into the nerdy things and consumption etc that we are um about to propound on but regardless okay next question i had was going to be about penny's acting career but it's more of a comment honestly my question was going to be why is it that penny the aspiring actor actress uh in this series there isn't hardly ever any attention given to her attempts to find acting work, her aspirations, what she's working on. And so that's the question immediately followed by this realization though, is that having lived in LA for several years, the aspiring actress who keeps a day job (laughs) and makes literally no attempts to move forward with their acting career is the, perfect most, most honest most honest realistic example of the average la actor slash comedian slash improv per, slash entertainment person yeah are we allowed to talk because i guess i feel like we have so many friends in common and so many of them fall into this category i feel a little uncomfortable talking about it because well before we want... talk about our friends how about we put ourselves in these categories we were both you still live in la i lived in la and that's how we met i went there specifically to focus on comedy and then was not so i think a combination of factors not willing to commit to the extent i needed to slash not talented enough to make it where i wanted slash uh found that the environment without the support network i'd grown up with doing comedy uh was kind of brutal and lonely and so it crushed me and i don't know if we've talked about this much or if you're comfortable talking about it so i'm just going to sell you out but kyle you're a writer you do write so that already puts you ahead of a lot of other people. 
but you also have regular full-time employment aside from that. You have your own business. We're L.A. types, man. I'm not even in L.A. anymore, so I don't count. But Yeah, so I want to say first off that I think you're – I think reasons one and three that you that you offered are more valid than reason two. I mean your talent is neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying I can't speak to it because famously the entire time you were here, you refused to ever like – go to and like give any kind of performance in a venue where I could see you perform. So I still to this day have no idea if you're actually funny or not um, outside of, you know, us shooting the shit, but that's fine. But yeah, I think it's more the first and the it's, it's especially the third thing. It was hard for you to commit to. And to your credit though, you never described yourself to anyone. Like Penny tells people she's a, she's actually, I don't know if this is true, but I do think, uh, the kind of people that Penny is a parallel to often tell people that they are actors or actresses, despite the fact that nobody knows when the last time they even attempted to go on an audition were. Yes. Um, very, I know, very common L.A. stereotype. Whereas you, at least, you would get the like one of the quickest ways to like slightly piss you off slash make you uncomfortable was to describe you as a comedian to anyone you had just met if you were introduced to a stranger as this is my friend i didn't do this to you very often because i didn't introduce you to strangers but i was in situations where people would introduce you as this is my friend nick he's a comedian and i the look on your face of wanting to murder <laughs> the person who had introduced you it's so embarrassing and shameful for me i never feel like a real comedian and so whenever it comes up i like, and especially like when it does come up in, in random conversation and someone's like, oh, I should see you perform. And I'm like, I'll murder you and your family. <laughs> this is especially since I I need to change my material because I know that my my insistence on joking about abortion rights and sex predators isn't widely marketable. And yet I'm not going to drop it anytime soon. <laughs> well, especially not now that you live in Montana. But um, yeah, yeah, I lost my. Oh, I had a similar thing once where I don't I don't get quite as embarrassed when uh when people um introduce me as a writer, but I did have a situation once I did, or actually a couple of times where I would someone would be like this is my friend Kyle, he's he's a screenwriter and then someone would be like, "Oh, what have you written that I've seen?" and I was oh, and I would fucked. get <laughs> right? It's so, it's such a nice they're not trying to be assholes. It's just like it's just like bold of you to assume that I would be here hanging out, uh, that I would look like this, that that I would be so sad and alone if I had actually achieved a modicum of success, or really that I wouldn't like have a plaque hanging around, like I wouldn't have a shirt printed that said, you know, I write for you yeah. know bojack you, horseman if that were a part of my life you wouldn't have your dick hanging out with a tattoo script doc and gothic <laughs> lettering scrawled across it yes so that's always weird um but no i i don't off i hardly ever introduce myself as a writer but i've been working on being more comfortable about it but it's true i i basically i try to write all the time and i try to get my writings looked at and seen it's just hard so i have a day job so but you know, I do. I try to put the work in, so that's we're that's artists. God damn it, we we take our craft seriously. Yeah, and now you're, you know, now you're doing stand up again. Now that you're in Montana, so I would still never do this to you because I know you hate it. But you're a real comedian. I guess so. You'll I just mean, never be a famous comedian. You're a comedian not, no. doomed. You're a comedian doomed to ignominy and uh, and uh, being forgotten. Just the same as I'm probably going to. 
no screenplay I have ever written will likely ever be pu- ever be made into anything. But you know, it's fine. That's that's our life. That's the other main difference is that we can still. Uh, well, you see us at least practicing our art form. So I think you're right that the fact that Penny doesn't go doesn't go on auditions as far as we know and has no success is partially just the show accurately realizing what these people are like but also i was going to say um it reminds me of something i realized as i was uh because i'm a giant fucking nerd i was i was writing something about the x-men the other week and i was like you know it's kind of tragic because the x-men like their whole mission is fighting against a particular kind of prejudice but it's a comic book and comic books aren't allowed to end so which means that the x-men by like the metafictional construct that they're trapped in can't actually like see any meaningful progress in society because that would end like the the reason like there's never going to be an issue where the x-men look around and like well looks like we finally uh achieved mutant equality with humanity we can all stop being the x-men now way to go guys because that wouldn't work i think similarly if penny ever actually became a famous actress you know, it would make even less sense for her to be living in an apartment across the hall from the rest of them. So it would just defeat the purpose. So since we're, I feel like since I just introduced the uh, the X-Men into the conversation, we should probably move on to our nerd thing of the week. Okay, and before we move on to our nerd thing of the week, I have a special announcement. Don't, my brother, my brother and me, I think has a monopoly on doing the... the oh, fuck them. Break. I haven't listened to them in years. I don't give a shit. Okay. All right. Oh, so... boy. When the McElroys come for us, I'm not going to be able to protect you from that, Nick. That's fine. Those, they can come for Those people are wolves. Specifically, Travis McElroy can... <laughs> yeah. I, he'll suffocate on my asshole. But uh, that aside, uh, we have a special guest who just stopped by to bring me a spooky Halloween treat. It's previous guest and friend of the show, Solvay. Hey, Solvay. Hi, Solvay. Welcome. And so, yeah, we're recording this on um, Halloween, and Kyle is dressed up as himself because what's scarier than confronting the darkness inside of you? Um, I'm dressed up as Diogenes because that required a bedsheet and a lot of explanation, which is my and a, favorite and kind a, of costume. And a resemblance, you know, a passing resemblance to a mentally ill person. <laughs> yes. And I bought a lantern, which I need to take photos with in the daylight or it won't make sense anymore. Solvay, what this are you This is why we're friends, today? because I, you don't have to explain to me who Diogenes is. I I'd kiss that. you on the mouth right now if I could. Well, not everyone here knows who that was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Sparky from Frankenweenie. I spent all night finishing it, and it looks like shit, but that's okay. You look great. Thank you. All right. With that out of the way, let's move on to our nerd things of the week. Solvay, you are our sudden semi-expected guest, so you get the choice of going first, second, or third. I'll go first this time. I'm ready. All right. Let it rip. Okay. So obviously mine is a Halloween suggestion that people can wait till next year or watch whenever. There's this movie, I don't think... Anybody knows about? Nobody ever talks about it. It's called Mad Monster Party. Nope. From like the seventies. I don't know if it's the same studio who did Rudolph and Frosty and all those Christmas movies, but it's the same style, stop motion, and it's just a, as you can assume, a bunch of monsters having a party. But it's really fun. I think it's different. It's whimsical. I think like the Rudolph movies really make Christmas, and they kind of 
makes it feel like Christmas, and this does the same for Halloween. It's on Amazon. Is it the inspiration for the late 1980s Nintendo Entertainment System horror game Monster Party, where you play a boy who who befriends a uh, a gargoyle from another realm, who then takes you to the monster world, and then features some of the weirdest graphic, bloody NES art that's ever been featured, Um, and you run around defeating monsters with a bat, including monsters such as a giant piece of fried shrimp. Mm, I don't think there's a piece of shrimp in this one. Is there, ah. is there a love story in your video game? In a way, between the, the kid and Bert, the the gargoyle. Very interesting. Uh, I don't know. I think the 70s were the inspiration for everything. Sure. <laughs> All history before the seventies is gibberish to me. So well, I think we I think we can agree that most movies, at least, were pretty. But yeah, all right, all right. Um, Kyle, you next or me? Uh, I'll go ahead. I feel it didn't even occur to me that mine should be Halloween themed. Um, and to be well, honest, this is I, coming out after Halloween. This wasn't a Halloween themed episode. You're you're safe. Good. I don't. I didn't have. But since I mentioned the X Men earlier, I will say that their current current run on the comic which is being written by jonathan hickman uh i'm finding quite good the whole the whole run is good but right now they're in the middle of a giant super art called x of swords which may it it may actually be pronounced ten of swords because jonathan hickman likes using the x the as the roman numeral for ten in a lot of the a lot of the stuff and the ten of swords is a tarot card which makes frequent appearances so yes uh anyways um in the comic as part of like the previous weird shakeup that he's been doing, all of the mutants in the world have basically decided to tell humanity to go fuck itself, and they're off living on their own island where no one else is allowed. Only now this, uh, including all the bad mutants, so it's like, you know, Magneto and Professor X and Mr. Sinister and Apocalypse are all just like chill with each other now, which is interesting. But their island gets invaded by an extra-dimensional horde and basically the solution like the world building is really nice and i don't want to drown people in it so i'm not going to get into all of it but uh you know apocalypse is the one who recognizes these guys because they're like people who invaded during the bronze age and you know he's immortal and so he drove them back then at great personal cost so now you know uh, there's a whole exploration into his backstory that's kind of cool there but it basically it turns into the plot of mortal Kombat. it's like if we're going to stop this horde from coming into our dimension we're going to have to assemble 10 badass mutants with swords and they're going to fight 10 badass extra-dimensional monsters who also have swords. And, you know, may the best team win. All right. And what was that called again? X of Swords. Okay. Um, for my recommendation, uh, I didn't plan on recommending this. I was going to do some, like, spooky whatever I watched recently. But because it came up during the episode, and because I did watch it just within the last couple of weeks, I'm going to recommend the, the new-ish documentary called Feels Good Man, which is all about the creation, corruption, and reclamation of Pepe the Frog. And for those who don't already know, because you've never been on the internet before, Pepe the Frog is this chill frog guy that likes hanging out with his friends, who, through uh, complicated and ridiculous machinations, ended up becoming a symbol of the alt-right and has been officially designated a, a symbol of hate speech by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And it was weird as someone who has... So it, a lot of this happened on 
the message board 4chan, which I'm not going to bother explaining right now, but that is something that was featured prominently throughout the documentary. It's where the, the, the it's the context in which the meat and EET subtype of nerd came up because apparently that was a place where a lot of the, the neat types really bonded together. And I am someone who has passing familiarity with 4chan. Like in, in early college, I think I had friends who were into it. And I would go there to find a high quality pornographic gifts before streaming videos became a regular thing. But the, the weirdest thing about all of it is, so having kind of known about Pepe before all of this happened, and seen myself the way that he transitioned into that hate symbol. And I, I had friends who'd see Pepe and recognize him only as this hate symbol, only as this symbol of the alt-right. Yes, by the time I first, because I was not heavy into that any of that stuff, the first time I saw him, I was like, oh yeah, it's the Nazi frog. Exactly, so. yeah. And, and so it actually, the documentary focuses less on, well, that's not totally true. It focuses on Pepe the Frog, yes, but it also focuses a lot on his creator, who I think is, his name is Matt Fury, who is just like a chill, independent comic book maker cartoonist living in the Bay Area. And Pepe the Frog was a character in this group based on him and his friends just hanging out and like smoking weed and having fun in college. It was it was just a cute little indie comic that he 100% lost control of. And the documentary even covers some of his fruitless, honestly misguided efforts to reclaim Pepe after the Nazis took him. And um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think it's a really good documentary. Um, the only thing I would warn against is that it really forces you to confront how much the internet just sucks. Like, because, I mean, it is a thing where this like, this innocent, earnest, chill creator made something that he lost control of and then turned into this massive, at least national, I don't know how it is outside of the States, but across the entire United States, yeah, like rallying symbol of of alt-right shitheads and how weird and frustrating it is to be the creator of that and to have lost any connection or control to your cute little thing you made once doodling. So yeah, feels good, man. Yeah. I, I'd call it a fun documentary, but honestly, it, it does not feel that good, man. <laughs> All right. So I guess we just wrap up. We used to be really good at, I think, having our, our traditional banter and fading out on these. And the last few have just been well, basically, outs. Yeah, I would just antagonize you about something. I would just bring up something you had said that annoyed me in the episode. And uh, Does and that mean I'm annoying you less? You. Or are you just getting less antagonistic? Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. In this episode, you did not annoy me very much. Neither of us is doing our job properly. I'm sorry, audience. We'll fix yes, this post haste. We we'll 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 work. We'll go to we'll go to uh, couples counseling where they teach us how to fight again. Yeah, I did think earlier, like it'd be fun if I got into a martial art, and then I could make you mad about not doing it correctly. Like the one time we discussed Krav Maga, and you got real big mad at me for not understanding how it's not all just throat punches and ball kicks yes although i have to say you know um having finally watched the episode of king of the hill where uh <laughs> where bobby learns to punch people or learns to kick people in the dick yes. that is one of the most realistic uh realistic self-defense seminars i've ever seen portrayed on a tv show 
And we definitely offer self-defense right. seminars like that at my Krav Maga gym. All right, we're ending it this way. Kyle, this is a dare. You get 50 bucks from Nick Hyde, your co-host, if you post a YouTube video of you kicking someone in the balls and saying, that's not my purse, I don't know you. I'll, I'll take you up on that. All not right. A, yeah. Okay. The challenge has been, has been proposed. Until next time, listeners. Bye.